بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد Last week we had started talking about سورة المسد Inshallah today we're going to continue with our discussion of it where Allah Azawajal he, he calls him Abu Lahab right? and this is the kunya or this is the nickname that he subhanahu wa ta'ala decides to call on him uh, his name was Abdul Uzza ibn Abdul Muttalib uh, he was an uncle of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He was also known as Abu Utba. Now Utba was one of his three sons. Inshallah, when the time comes, we'll talk about his sons. He was also known as Abu Lahab. And Lahab itself is actually the um, the fringes of the fire, right? Like the fringe of a fire is known as Lahab. Uh, and the reason that he was called that is because he was very handsome. And because of uh, because of his beauty or because of his handsomeness, they said that his face was it was almost as if it it glowed, right? So sometimes when you look at someone and say, "Wow, his face is really glowing," or his face has a lot of light, so he was known as Abu Lahab from that. Um, and especially this is especially a discussion of the type of fire. Lahab is uh, is a very specific, a very unique way of describing fire. It's the one that doesn't have any smoke, and you you can actually see the flames. You can actually see the tips of it. So um, last week we talked about the first ayah, which was Tabbat Yada Abi Lahab Yomotab. And scholars have spoke about this ayah in a number of ways, in many different ways. And it was this was a reaction to, or this surah was revealed why? Do you guys remember? Hmm. There, there's no mention of him actually throwing it, but what? This is the third, the third year of Hijri, the third year, not after the third year of Hijri, the third year of Nabuwa. The third year of Nabuwa, uh, and after the revelation had come, three years later, this surah was revealed. And the reason it was revealed is because Allah, when he had been ordered to call the people to Islam, he went to Safa. And Safa, we all know, right? Safa and Marwa. He went up there and he called and he gathered everyone. He said, Ya, oh Quraysh, oh, you know, the people of Mecca. So the people gathered and they said, Yes, Muhammad, and what is it that you want? So he said to them, he said, if I told you that there was an army or there was a spy who was behind this mountain, and Safa is not that big. I mean, for those of you who are made uh, Hajj or Umrah, um, Safa is not a particularly big, it's more of a hill than, than really a mountain. So even that shows to the point of where they, uh, they trust and they respected the Prophet Muhammad even before his Islam. So they said that, okay, if, I'm, if I tell you that there's a spy behind here, if I tell you there's an enemy behind you, would you believe me? They said, listen, we don't know you to have lied. And we have been, experienced you to have lied before, so we have no reason to not believe you. So then he said that I'm going to warn you from a punishment on a day that is going to come. And then Abu Lahab, at this point, he said what? Tabban lak, right? Wasa'ar al-ayyam, some of the narrations. So then this surah was uh, then the surah was revealed and we said that when Allah Azawajal, what are some of the reasons that he mentions his two hands specifically? One of them is this, in that he saw Muhammad and he picked up a rock that fit in his two hands, right? It was, it was so big that he needed both hands of them picking up, acting as if he was going to throw it at Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Allah Azawajal, he responds by saying, Tabbat yadab, huh? He says, in both of your hands may they be destroyed. In Tab, we said that this is a dua for destruction, a dua for a halak. And he ends, and may he be ruined. And we said the other meaning of this is what? What is the possible meaning when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about the hands? What is he implying or what is the metaphor that can be understood there? Everything you do with the hands. Uh-huh. I'm sorry? All that you earn from you. No, mashallah. All of your earnings, all of the work, all of the actions that you've done, 
Huh? All of the good that you've done and all the good that you've been put forward, it is usually done and this is usually a way to talk about your hands. When, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or when the Arabs, they used to speak about their hands, and even in English, yani, the things that your two hands have done, even though some things you haven't physically done with your hands, but it's supposed to be representative of your actions. It's supposed to represent your actions. So basically what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying here is that may all of the actions and all the good that you did and all of the wealth that you earned be destroyed in addition to what? Uh, right? Allah, what does he say? He says, may your hands be destroyed and may what? May you be destroyed. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about his hands and then he talks about him. In the next ayah, Allah he says, That neither his wealth nor his gains will help him. Inshallah, and then we're going to break down the, this ayah. I want to break it into two sections. So we're going to start with the first half of the ayah. That his wealth will not help him. Uh, his wealth will not help him. And there are a few ways to understand that. There are a few ways to understand this ayah, depending on how you look at it in the, in the language. Because this word ma, uh, you're, you're in level three, you're in 103. Ma has how many meanings? Ma means no. Ma, that's one meaning. Yeah. Right? And what are some of the other meanings of ma? You have ma musliya, ma al-mausula, ma al-nafiya, ma al-istifham. Right? There, there are a number of different meanings of ma. When, when ma comes in the Quran, it can come in a number of different meanings depending on the context. The only way you can understand which one it is, is by actually looking at the verse. So over here, the way that a lot of the translators, a lot of the Mufassirin, they translate it as, they say it to mean what? No, right? Me meaning his wealth will not benefit him. His wealth will not benefit him. Um, but some of the Mufassirin, they say, well, actually this ma is a stifami. This ma is used in a question. So if we turn this into a question, the meaning will change to what has his wealth helped him? And both of these meanings are what? Plausible. Yeah, both of these meanings are plausible. And again, this shows the ijaz of the Qur'an. And this shows the miraculous nature of the Qur'an and how Allah can bring multiple meanings using the same wording. So, one meaning is the one that we mentioned, and his wealth will not help him. This is one meaning. The other meaning is, what has his wealth helped him? And up until this point, all this wealth that we've given him, we've blessed him with, what has he benefited from it? And the second, um, so my question here is, why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specify or talk about his wealth? Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talk about Abu Lahab's money? He was wealthy. He was wealthy, right? He was very well off, he was very wealthy. Not just that, was he known to be bad with his money? No, he was generous. Right, he was known to be generous. He was known to be generous with Quraysh. He's like, listen. And he told this to Muhammad sallam, even before Nubuwa. Before Nubuwa, he said, listen, Muhammad, specifically, he said to him, if you do anything, if you need anything, I will have a share in it. And he said, the rest of Quraysh, if you need anything, I will also have a share in it. Meaning that, if you need to do anything, I'll invest in you, specifically Muhammad sallam, And if you, Quraysh, if you need anything, I'll invest in you as well. So this shows his generosity, generosity this shows his wealth, and this shows why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specified that. That this wealth that you have and this wealth that you thought you gave in a good cause and you gave in a good way, it didn't what? It didn't benefit you. So the next half of the ayah Allah says, وَمَا كَسَبْ So depending on how you understood the first half of the ayah, the same thing can be applied here. 
The same understanding can be applied here. That nor, your wealth didn't help you, nor did your gains. Nor did your gains, and this is what kesab is, right? Kesab means to gain and to procure. So, some of the scholars have understood the gains here to be understood, uh, understood in a way that, okay, the investments that he made and the money that he gave, right? The money by itself and the investments or the way that you use the money, this is the second half of it. So, this is one way to understand the ayah. Another way to understand the ayah is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is here talking about his children. So, the first half of the ayah, he's talking about his wealth, and the second half of the ayah, he's now talking about his children. Uh, why? Because he took great pride in them. He took great pride in all of his children. And uh, inshallah, we'll, we'll talk about his three children. His three children were Utbah, Mu'attab, and Urtaybah. These were the three children of, of Abu Lahab. Um, th- and this is the order that they're in. Utbah was the oldest, Mu'attab was the middle, and Urtaybah was the youngest. Utbah and Mu'attab, they actually accepted Islam. Utbah and Mu'attab, they actually accepted Islam. They accepted Yom Fat. Mecca. So when the Prophet conquered Mecca, and so you're talking about 20 years, right? Like almost 20 years after this surah was revealed, two of his three sons accepted. The third one did not. The third one did not uh, accept Islam. Um, and this third one, this is one of the ones that actually the Prophet ﷺ, he married his daughter Umm Kulthum to. The second son, Utbah, he married his daughter Ruqayya to. So Umm Kulthum and Ruqayya were married to the sons of Abu Lahab. Where did these two women end up? Divorced. Huh? Well, uh, yes, for sure, they were divorced. But uh, uh, these two, uh, these two women, these two daughters of the Prophet where did they end up? Umm Kulthum was married to Uthman, and then after she, she died after Badr, and then then what happened? The Prophet married Ruqayya, or the second daughter. He also married her to Uthman. And he said, he said, had I had more daughters and had they died one after another, I would have married them all to you, to you, Uthman. So, what happened to Urtaba? So Urtaba was the only one that didn't uh, accept Islam. Basically, when the surah was revealed, Abu Lahab, how did he feel? He was, he was furious, right? He was furious, he was angry. So he went to his two sons, who were married to whom? Uh, to the daughters of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa And what do you think he ordered them to do? He said, he, he said divorce them. Huh? He said to divorce them. So Utbah, Utbah divorced, right? Utbah divorced uh, Umm Kuthum. Utbah, he wanted to take it a step further. Not only did he want to divorce the woman, because Utbah, he divorced her, and he, he said, okay, you know, he divorced her and he sent her back to her father's house. Urtaiba, he wanted to harm the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It wasn't enough for him to, you know, just divorce and, and just leave the matter go or let the matter uh, uh, end. So what Urtaiba did is he went to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he brought Abu Lahab with him, and he divorced her in front of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Why? Why would he do it in front of him? Yeah, just to harm him, just just to spite uh, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he made dua against him at that point. He said, "Ya Allah, may may one of your hounds, may one of your dogs of this dunya catch or take May one of the dogs, may the, the dog of your, you know, one of your dogs of this world, may they catch or take 
So Abu Lahab, he, he responded, he said, he said your, your dua is not going to benefit you anything, Muhammad. He said, your dua is not going to benefit you anything. So after this, they had a business trip to Sham. So Urtaybah and Abu Lahab, they both went to Sham and to, for a business trip, and they were staying in a guest house. And once they reached the, with the caravan, they went, they stayed in the best guest house. Then a monk came to visit them. A monk or like a religious man, he came to visit them and he said, listen, this place that you're staying in, there's a lot of wild animals around, so be careful. And he left. Abu Lahab became scared. Yeah, he, he got worried. He called the caravan. He said, listen, let's all stay together, surround ourselves with the caravan to protect ourselves from these wild animals. Uh, then they said that a lion actually entered. A lion actually entered the caravan and they were terrified. When, when the lion came, the lion sniffed every one of their faces. And when it came to Urtaybah, he killed Urtaybah and he left. So this was actually a sign of the acceptance of the dua of uh, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So what about Abu Lahab himself? We talked about, his, so his lineage was finished. How was his lineage finished? His sons accepted Islam, right? So they completely went against their father. The one son who didn't, he was killed. And what happened to Abu Lahab himself? He was killed. Where was he killed? He actually didn't die in Badr. He was wounded in Badr. Right? When he fought in Badr and he was wounded in Badr, he didn't die. When did he die? He died seven nights later. Yeah. He died seven nights later. Um, and Yeah, from the wounds. From the wounds of Badr, he died seven nights later. His family actually avoided claiming the body. SubhanAllah. I mean, look at the how Allah humiliated this individual. He went, thought he was going to win this great battle. He went, he didn't even die in battle, right? He got wounded. Seven nights later, his family didn't come to collect him, and he died. He died seven nights after that. And when he died, the family was scared that he had some sickness with him, so they, they still didn't go. So they hired some laborers. You know, like sometimes we go to like uh, Home Depot or whatever to hire, hire laborers. They did the same thing. They hired laborers and they said, listen, there's, they were scared that if they left the body, that the people would start talking and say, look, you know, these guys don't even respect their dead. So they sent these laborers and they said, listen, there's a body there, it's going to look like this, just, just go and bury it. So these, they let the body rot for three days. So he, seven days later he died. In three days they didn't touch the body. They just let it rot in the open sun. And out of public shame, they went and they hired these laborers. And the laborers then went to this place, they went to uh, where his body was, and they didn't even bury the body, they just covered it up with rocks. Again, this is all just confirming and reaffirming the disgrace and the humiliation of Abu Lahab. So, Allah He says, that he will burn in the fire. Allah He specifically says about Abu Lahab that he will burn in the fire. So, what is this as a message for us? What can we take away from that? Right, and so if you if you hurt somebody righteous, then Allah will punish you either in this world or in the next. There, there, in, in sometimes in the dunya and in the akhir, and and he was definitely humiliated in this world. Not just that. Where is Abu Lahab going to be? He's going to be in the hellfire. This is something that you know how we have like bashara for people who are going to paradise in this world. There's also bashara for people who are going to the hellfire, and from those people was Abu Lahab. 
and this came straight, you know, very clearly in this ayah. Allah is talking that he is going to burn, this individual is going to burn in the hellfire. In the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he describes the fire here, he mentions it in an open-ended way. He says, not. Right? He doesn't say, an-nar. He says, not. And this is to describe how vast it is, to describe how large it is, and to describe the intensity of it. Because when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't specify something, it just shows how great and how alim that thing actually is. And, but he does describe it by saying, that lahab. And one of the reasons that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that it's flaming here, and like we said, lahab means flame. Why, why do you think that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would make it a point to describe it like that over here? Because of the name, right? And this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's way to play on his name. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is a way to play on that individual's name. They say, you are Abu Lahab and you will burn in, in Lahab. And this is, again, this, the point of the entirety of the surah is to disgrace and to humiliate Abu Lahab. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as we break it down every single ayah, we can see that the further along we go in these ayat, it is just a further way of actually humiliating and destroying him. And some of the scholars or some of the mufassirin, they say this continues on with the theme that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, he starts with in the first ayah. It's talking about destroying his actions and destroying the individual. So we can say his actions being destroyed by when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ma aghna anhu ma wa ma kasab, that these are, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about what? His actions. He's clearly talking about his actions here. And he himself will be destroyed. How? When Allah says, That he will be skewered, he will be in the fire, he will be burned in a fire that has a great flame or that is intense in flame. Uh, the next set of ayat or the next two ayat talk about uh, his wife, Um Jamila. It's about, it's about maybe like 10 minutes or so. Should we continue or uh, we stop? Continue. Continue? Oh, sorry. So Allah he says, وَمْرَأَتُهُ حَمَّالَةُ الْحَطَبُ And so will his wife, the firewood, carry. And it is a hatab. Hatab is basically kindle that you put together to, uh, to burn fire. Her name is Um Jamil Arwa bint Harb. She was actually Abu Sufyan's sister. She was actually Abu Sufyan's sister. She was also known to throw thorns on the pathways that the Prophet ﷺ used to frequent. So at night, she would actually go out carrying these thorny sticks and these thorny pricks in order to hurt the Prophet ﷺ. But some of the, there are some narrations talking about how the Prophet ﷺ, he, he still used to walk on these thorns purposely. And to him, it was as if he was walking on silk. And from the Mu'jizah and Nabuwah. Qatada uh, said that another understanding of this or another play on this is that she used to be so stingy that she wouldn't hire other people to carry firewood she would actually carry it by herself because out of her stinginess um, another interpretation that some of the scholars mentioned from them Sufyan Thawri he says that she actually used to be a namam she actually used to tail carry meaning that she would make up stories and go tell different people like oh this person said that about you and then she would go to that person and say oh this person said that about you so just like she used to carry these tails Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on that day will make her carry this firewood or carry this kindle as a way to punish her and Ibn Jirir rahimahullah he says that this is a way for Allah to punish her for carrying the sins and carrying her mistakes and making a physical form out of that in order to punish her. 
Uh, and some interesting to things to know about this ayah is that subha Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He doesn't say, وَزَوْجَتُهُ He doesn't say, and his wife. He says, his woman. Right? He says, وَمْرَأَتُهُ why, why call her, why say his woman and not his wife? Uh, this is just a further way to disgrace her. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He took Abu Lahab by name, right? But over here, He doesn't even bother taking her name. Why? There's no value to show that this, this woman, this individual, she has no value and that you're not even worth taking your name. Even though that she was what? She was a person who had power, respect, authority, and wealth. She had all of these things. But the, the purpose of this entire surah is to degrade and to humiliate these individuals. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make her carry these things just like she used to carry the thorns in this world in order to actually break her down and make her into something that she wasn't in this world. In this world she was wealthy and she was affluent. But in the afterlife Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to make her equal, equivalent to like a laborer. Somebody who is very low class and somebody who is very low standing again in order to humiliate her. And the last ayah Allah subhanahu says, Fi hablum min masad with a palm fiber rope around her neck. In Allah what's interesting here is he says, he, says, he uses the word jid. Jid is, is different from onuq. Onuq is the classical way to talk, to talk about the neck. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the word jid here because jid is the way to use or to differentiate between how, the place where you actually hang jewelry. So the place where you hang jewelry, this is called the jid in Arabic. Why do you think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses that to describe her neck? Uh, because her rope is going to be like what? Like jewelry for her. Because in this world she was known to have a very large piece of jewelry with heavy embedded uh, diamonds and heavy embedded uh, precious stones. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, again, what is the purpose of the surah? To humiliate and to disgrace this individual. So in the afterlife, the only jewelry she's going to receive is what? This rope. And this, the rope is usually a sign of what? Slavery. Slavery. Excellent. Right? A rope is usually a sign of slavery. Again, somebody of high social standing or somebody very, very low of social standing? Very low. Very low. This is, again, this is Allah reinforcing the idea that he's going to disgrace and humiliate this woman. Um, Allah Azza wa Jal, He uses a lot of symbolism in this ayah to further degrade her. Um, and He talks, He even talks about the fiber, right? He even talks about the type of rope. He doesn't just say, and then stops. He says, He actually describes the material the rope is made out of. And Masad is palm fiber. You guys, you guys know what palm fiber is? Basically, it's, it's like rope. If you guys have seen rope, if, you know how it, it, it'll break apart into the different fibers? This is palm fiber. And it's, it's very, is it smooth or rough? It's extremely rough, right? It's extremely rough, and it, it's very similar to the clothing they would actually make for slaves, right? Because it's very cheap, right? It's not like using cotton or silk, which is what the high class used to wear, because it took time to actually make it. The fiber, you could just put it together, you know, you just bump, bundle the fiber together and you put it together, and it made very cheap, rough clothing. Just, just to cover themselves. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He describes that this is the jewelry that we're going to hang around your neck. So, after she heard the surah, after she heard the surah, she was 
furious. Because look at how many places she's degraded here. And she understands. I mean, she's, she was an Arab. She understood exactly what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was saying about her and how he was humiliating and how he was degrading her. So she went, she took a rock in her hands. These guys have a big thing with rocks, right? <laughs> so she, she took a rock in her hand and she went out and she was looking for Muhammad. And she heard that he was in the Kaaba, in the, in the Masjid al Haram. So she saw Abu Bakr and she went to Abu Bakr. And Abu Bakr was standing with Muhammad. They were standing together. And she says to Abu Bakr, she says, Where's your friend? Where is he? And Abu Bakr, he sees the rock in her hand. And Abu Bakr, he's like, he's looking over and he sees Muhammad standing right there. And he asks her, and he said, he said, do you see anyone standing with me? So she responds to him again, still furious. She said, are you joking with me? Like, are, you know, you think this is a joke? And, and he just stayed quiet. And she wasn't able to see him. The Prophet ﷺ, he told Abu Bakr, he said, the angels shielded me and they protected me from, from her. And she was not able to see him. So, I mean, subhanAllah. But, uh, may Allah protect us. So, uh, another plausible explanation of this is that this, this punishment that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about over here, He's actually proposing two punishments. Because many of the Mufassireen, they say, saying that His woman is also going to be burned in that fire. Another plausible explanation of this is that Abu Lahab, he's going to be burned. He's going to be burned and he's going to be punished. His wife will also be in the fire, but in order, again, to humiliate and disgrace her, what is she going to do? She's going to have this rope around her neck. This rope is going to be used to pull her and pull the what? Pull the firewood. And where is this firewood going to go? It's going to burn, there's no doubt. But what is it going to be used for? Not to burn her. Burning her husband. Look, look at the siyah of the ayah, right? That this fire, this flaming fire, is going to burn Abu Lahab. Then in the next ayah, and also the woman, or uh, I'm sorry, the, the wife of, uh, and his wife, she will carry the firewood. Carry the firewood for what? To burn her husband. And is she doing it by choice? No. Because in her neck is what? Is this rope that is forcing her and pulling her to go and get more and to come back. Increase, punishing both of them in different ways. Punishing him physically and torturing her also physically, right? Because she has to carry this wood and she's just walking back and forth feeding this fire and just further humiliating her and further humiliating her because she used to take pride in who her husband was. And now she's the one that is forced to burning. And this is a second very plausible explanation based on the construction of the ayah. Uh, any, any questions? Yes. So is there any hikmah mentioned by the Muslims about why uh, both specifically Abu Lahab and his wife mentioned with the surah and mm. there were many other uh, people like him yeah. who tortured Prophet and never were those mentioned now, so, so the, the reason that Abu Lahab was tortured specifically is because of his continuous harm against Muhammad These individuals that you're talking about, you can say that there were cases where it happened, but the continuous 
pressure and the continuous hatred and the continuous harm, him and his wife, right? Because it's not just him. It was him and his wife. She used to throw out thorns every day. She used to speak against him. Abu Lahab always used to incite the people against Muhammad He was one of the main reasons that the uh, that caused the economic embargo against Banu Hashim and the people who supported them. So because of his constant inad and his stubbornness and his enemyship and adawa that he had toward Muhammad he was he was singled out. Allah. He was his uncle. Yeah, he was his judge. Yeah. I mean, uh, does that add or subtract to it? Well, I don't, I, I don't know. Yeah. No, I'm saying maybe it's possible because of the actual physical proximity. He he took more of an opportunity to even hurt him. Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. But like I said, this is one of the reasons that the Mufassirin mentioned because of his constant pain toward Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, his constant harming of him, his constant speaking against him, his constant inciting people against him. This is one of the reasons that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala singles him out. Even though he died, how many years after this was revealed? He died at Badr, right? So you're talking about 10 years later. About There's 10 years between the revelation of the surah and the time that he actually passed away. The, you know, at least eight, if, if not. Yeah, so you, because Badr happened in the second year of Hijrah, and this was like the fourth year, so you're talking about at least at least eight years. In between eight and ten years. No. Any other questions? Yes. Was Abu Lahab part of that group in which when they decided to throw carpets on Muhammad uh, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam when he was doing Sajdah? No, that was Abu Jahl. That was Abu Jahl. Yeah. Nothing else? Class, I inshallah will see you all next week. Bismillah. Wa sallallahu ala khayyikha wa nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sallam.